Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. We have the privilege of hearing from Nick Cheatham which for those of you who don't know, he is my husband. Um, So I am very excited about this. Uh, What I've learned from Nick is that he isn't satisfied with good enough. That his quest for excellence in all he does has inspired me. He is a hunger to learn and has no problem challenging the way things have always been in pursuit of where Jesus is leading him. His innate desire to protect, defend, and serve comes straight from the heart of the Father. While his thinking and mindset, if you've had conversations with him, are very philosophically bent, he doesn't just remain in the ideas or concepts of the mind area. To him, belief and faith are intrinsically tied to action. And he aims to be consistent in both belief and action. In the last few years, he has supported and championed me in my giftings and callings while leaning into new areas of leadership and discernment himself. So let's welcome Nietzsche. how the gospel functions 
is an individual person. But then I want to talk about why I believe the gospel actually works. Now, this is a huge topic, obviously. I can't get to everything just right now. There's so much depth to these things. I hope that this actually spurs some questions and some thoughts for, for later on. Uh, often when I hear a sermon, there's a story. So I'm going to start with a story. Maybe you'll get to know me a little bit, where I'm coming from. Uh, when I was in university years ago, we had this community of believers. One of the people that would often speak was a pastor from a local Baptist church. Whatever is Baptist, just roll with it for a second. I'm joking. Uh, he was also a PhD in philosophy. He had a really good impact on me. He was a gifted teacher. Uh, he would tell university students that, hey, it was okay to put your hand up in class and, and just say to the professor, hey, that doesn't sound right. And then ask why. And he would go on to say that, hey, you know what, when you do that, though, some professors, some teachers, are, they're going to say that, well, that may not be, but what is the right answer? And they're going to push that back on you. And this guy would say, hey, do you want to say that? He'd say, I don't know what the right answer is, but I don't have to know what the right answer is to know that that doesn't sound right. He encouraged us to ask questions, to be respectfully challenging, to not be satisfied to seek out the answers when there were none, and maybe, most importantly, to have faith that any question we could possibly think of would not be so outrageous that it would be, it would be bigger than God. Now, not long, not long ago, I had a, a discussion with one of my supervisors. It was more, it was actually more of a reprimand uh, after an expressive discussion that we had. You see, I've been pushing back on some decisions that were made. I thought it was a way that was respectful and appropriate, uh, but but my supervisor later called me into his office and we had a, another discussion. He told me that I was exhausting to have a discussion with because I was like a dog after a bone. I kept out a topic until I had an answer. He said, well, hey, sometimes there is no answer. And I thought about that, and I sat there, and I had to agree with him. He was getting frustrated at my tenacity, but I was trying to understand why the decision was made, to understand if the means justified the end. Because if the reasons for the decision were grounded, the entire project was going to fail. Ultimately, I really couldn't help but take his reprimand as a compliment. So we agreed to disagree. Because I can't buy into something unless there's a satisfactory answer. So with my supervisor, I, I explained to him that I needed to understand the why behind things. That's why I was asking the question, because I was trying to understand the reason of what we were doing. I really don't think he was comfortable with admitting that he didn't have an answer. Maybe he thought it was weakness, but I thought it was the starting point. Now that whole thing happened with my supervisor because I know that's how I was made, that's how I operate, to ask why. And it's because the word so many years ago from that pastor in university, I've always felt released to pursue the why. Now look, I know that's not how everyone sees things, and fair enough. Everyone's different. While I was preparing for this, I had the opportunity to share an earlier version with our small group. I got some really good feedback from honest and really good people. They didn't like how I was praying for we had a good discussion about different perspectives. I didn't keep much of that. This is completely new almost. But for today, 
I want to invite you to dig in and some of these why questions. If something I say doesn't make sense, just ask me about it later. Or ask me now, sure, we can roll with that. I don't have all this figured out. I'm taking a stab at it and I'm sharing the best of where I'm at. Because I believe that we honor God and how we're created when we wrestle with these hard questions. What does the name Israel mean? Jacob wrestled with God. Israel means to wrestle with God. As believers, we get to tie into that legacy of wrestling with God. Uh, one of the challenges that I discovered about speaking in this context is how to keep things focused. So to keep things focused, let me narrow down a why question to something marginally simpler than just saying, like, why are we here? I'm going to ask the question, why the gospel? Why center an entire belief system and a way of life around the teaching of Jesus? I think simply, to make this short, I think the simple answer is, is that the gospel works. And what I mean by that is when I read the gospel message of Jesus, when I try to live out what he asks of me, there seems to be a positive effect on me, on my family, my community, the people around me. And, and I don't know what to say that specific good is. I'm, I'm just going to say, hey, it's good. It works. Something good happens. I think we can all agree on that. It may not happen right away. It's going to be big. It could be small. It's going to look different at different times. Sometimes for me, it's that feeling of, of inner peace, a feeling of joy. Sometimes I get to see someone else's relationship grow. Sometimes it's an opportunity for someone else to experience something wonderful. My experience has been that if I look, I'll see where God has shown up. And then my faith increases. Simply put, I believe that the gospel works. And that's it. We're done. No. Um, <laughs> that leads to a better why question, though. Why? Why does the gospel work? I think it gets a little more complicated from there. Now let's take a step. Let's go way back to the very beginning. Not that far back. It's too far. But let's consider the Old Testament as a whole. It's the story of the history of the development of the nation of Israel. Israel's risen up from the descendants of Abraham. It's the promised land being tamed. It's the kingdom of Israel being established with Saul and then with David. And then Israel's in battle and enslaved. They're stolen from the promised land. Finally, they do return them at the end of the Old Testament. Israel's working hard to rebuild itself. It's the chosen people rebuilding the chosen nation. Now, the Old Testament is a story. It's a story about a group of people. It's a culture struggling to survive with enemies all around them. It's the story of God keeping faith with a nation that's been set apart. In the Old Testament, God speaks to his people through priests, through judges, through prophets, a few people. But what he does is he chooses the Israelites to be set apart. I'll shift back to the New Testament. The tone to me is completely different. It's the New Testament where God comes to us in person, to everybody. He comes to share himself with us in the most intimate way, person to person, through relationships. Jesus is standing as a man, talking to people, living with people, working with people, breathing with people. And Jesus' message is not to preserve a country with physical borders or a nation in the world, but it's to save individual people, to have people live free of sin, regardless of race, male, female, status, slave or free. 
there's a fundamental way that the Old Testament and the New Testament shift in the way that people can relate to God at this time. I'm not going to go into the historical factors and what was going on at the time. I think those are really good questions. To me, those are exciting questions because you get to know the why. But that's not what my focus is today. Just follow me on this to say that it's enough to say there's a shift in the way that people can have a relationship with God. It's really different. Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teachings bring about this entirely new way of life, with loving and gracious person-to-person interaction. He teaches a new way to pray. He calls us to live in peace with people that would otherwise be our enemies. I love that the teachings of Jesus are are counter-cultural to the teachings of the day. It's my rebellious side, being like, yeah, man, stick it to the men. But Jesus frequently, well, he does. He frequently speaks against the religious leaders of Israel and their religious way of living. I think that Jesus' teachings are always countercultural, even to this day, because they clash with human nature. It's not in a natural way that I feel like I should live. Currently, the gospel of humility and other-centered living is directly opposed to our culture and our human nature of self-gratification, self-sustainability, self-glorification, self-promotion, self-focus. The thing is, Jesus calls me to live in a way that's subtle, it's not flashing, it's not selfish, it's other focus. And there's so much good when I live as Jesus called me, when I buy into his teachings. Anyone ever been to the here? You ever had their horseradish? <laughs> yeah. It's quiet, I'm plain looking, it's unassuming. Oh, is it strong! <laughs> Take a little bit. I remember I, oh, this is a good horseradish. I took a bite, a big bite. felt like the back of my head was going to blow So if there's a takeaway today, the gospel's like the cake horseradish. Might look a little plain, but take a bite and see what happens. Now when I read the words of Jesus in the New Testament, something standing, always stands out to me, is that there's always something for me to apply. I'm able to apply. That's not to say there's not good stuff in the Old Testament. But it's different. And what I mean is that when Jesus speaks through his recorded words, I feel like I can actually do something with it. That he wants me to do something with it. And that something important happens when I do choose to do what he said. So why does the gospel work? Why is it when I choose to do something that Jesus asks of me, it's better than not following Jesus? What's substantial and meaningful about what Jesus is saying? I don't have an answer for that. I'm working through it. I can't get my head around it. But I'm going to tell you where I'm at with it. I'll speak from experience. Nothing specific, but when I, when I knowingly choose to not follow Jesus, things don't go well. But when I do, something shifts. Things seem to turn out better. When I set aside the idea that I know best, when I live out what Jesus is asking me, it's always much better. Things happen in ways I couldn't even anticipate. Like, I'm not going to say it's easy, and I'm not here to promote this name it and claim it garbage. I mean, I've tried it, I'm still waiting for a yacht. <laughs> I don't believe that following Jesus is a promise of an easy life, and it is definitely not a promise of a life free of suffering. But think about the times that, that you 
choosing to love, that you've chosen to forgive instead of holding on to bitterness or anger. And how does it turn out? But why? Why does it turn out like that? See, no other living creature, no other living thing experiences relationships like we do. It's like there's something about me that separates us. Not us, but the living things. There's something about you and me that separates us from living things, other living things. We're different. Now, I love movies. I love books. I, I just love a really good story. I love getting engaged with it. I love digging into it. I love a good story because I get to see through a different perspective. Every now and again, I believe a good book or movie, it really hits on something. And so, quote Star Wars here. Not, not the new ones, I'm talking about the good ones. Um, you know, you know, there's a short little green puppet guy. He pokes with a stick, and he's talking about the nature of things. And, and Yoda says, luminous beings are we, full of light. We're not this crude matter. He's poking Luke in his arm. Now he's saying something, there's more to us than just this dust and flesh. He's not wrong. I'm not saying a green puppet is on par with the gospel. But what I'm saying is that it's something worth thinking about. In the Bible, there's this idea that we're made in the image of God. It's in Genesis. It's one of the first things that, that comes up talking about humans. This is a crazy, crazy deep thought. What does it even mean? In what aspects are we made like God? I don't think it's necessarily physical. But without digging too deep into this, I think it's fair to say there's something about God that's about us. It's something not the same, but something similar. There's a lot to unpack there, but let's assume there is something to that idea that you and me are made in the image of God. It's like when Jesus speaks to me, he's calling out to that part of me that's made in the image of God. When I choose to live out how he's calling me to live, something significant happens, something really good, something greater than I could do on my own. When I live like Jesus wants me to, it seems like I connect with that part of me that's made in the image of God. I connect with Jesus. Something significant happens when I live it up. And it's actually living out that seems to me to be the most important part. I've read a lot. I've thought a lot about a lot of things. But it's not just reading or thinking that means the most important thing. It's the living out that matters. But it's not just about me. Following Jesus seems to be the absolutely most impactful when I'm following Jesus while interacting with other people. Other people. People that are also made in the image of God. So I was having this really good, in-depth conversation with a new friend, uh, a guy I met through work. And for a little bit, we were doing the, we were doing the dance. And if you've gone to church for any length of time, you know the dance. He'd say something a little bit churchy, a little bit Christiany. Then I'd say something a little bit churchy or Christian. Yeah, maybe this guy's a believer. Or if you've ever been part of a community that is absolutely no drinking of alcohol, but you go to someone else's, someone else's house for lunch, and they're like, "Hey, do you want a drink?" You know, we got coffee, tea water, or something. You're feeling each other out, right? Where, where's each other at? Now, my friend and I were feeling each other out, and eventually, you know, we just, you know, got, hey, you go to the church, or 
however that came up. I found that he was a leader in his church. He was wrestling with these deep questions, too. We were bouncing these ideas back and forth about relationships. And what he came up with, he said, hey, I really believe there's a spiritual reality. And as the conversation went on, we, we came to this thought that spiritual reality becomes obvious when I think about relationships. I think back, one of the most meaningful events in my life, I can tell you, it's meeting my wife. It's, it's standing at the altar with her getting married. It's seeing my kids born. It's seeing my kids grow up and building a relationship with my kids. It's renewing the relationship with my parents as I go from a child, an adolescent, to an adult. It's forming new relationships. It's meeting new people. I can tell you, when Amy and I came to this church, the first thing that happened was there was a greeter at the door that started a relationship with my wife. When I came, there was people here that started a relationship with me and maintained those relationships, and that's why we stayed. But what are the worst moments in my life? Okay, it's, it's when my relationships are in turmoil. It's when someone I love dies. It's when I can't have a relationship with somebody I've had some physically very painful experiences. I've had stitches, broken bones, I've been kidnapped, I've been punched, I've been knocked out. Like I've never given birth. But I've had some really uncomfortable times. <laughs> but that's physical pain. And I can tell you that's nothing compared to the experience of loss and tragedy and grief of when one of my relationships is disrupted for one day. But where where is this relationship that I have? It's not physical. I can't take a measuring tape figure out how long it is, or big it is, or wide, or how heavy it is. There's more going on. I can't explain this very well, but I know the effects of it. I think Jesus knows the effects of it as well. In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about restoring broken relationships. But he promises he is there too in the midst of relationships. Matthew 18, 20. For wherever two or three come together in honor of my name, I am right there with them. Something beautiful happens when two or three are gathered together following Jesus. There's something significant about people together, individually living out the words and actions of Jesus. From these things, from the results of the teachings of Jesus in my own life, from my experience with relationship, I'm drawn to the inevitable conclusion that there's something significant and fundamentally meaningful and valuable, valuable about each individual person. From another angle, let's read the parable of the lost lamb. That's earlier in Matthew 18. Jesus is still talking about restoring relationships. Starts in verse 12. Think of it this way. If a man owns a hundred sheep, and one lamb wanders away and is lost, won't he leave the ninety-nine grazing the hillside and thoroughly search for the one lost lamb? And if he finds his lost lamb, he rejoices over it, more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. Now you should understand that it is never the desire of your heavenly Father that a single one of these little ones should be lost. But this is normally read about the good shepherd seeking out the one lost. But I believe there's something more to this. See, a community is made up of individual people. When one is separated, the whole community loses out. That connection is lost. 
it makes sense to me that a good shepherd would leave the 99 and seek out the one because the one is deserving to be found and the 99 are less about the one. The shepherd is rescuing the one. The shepherd is restoring the 99. What I'm trying to get at is that it's this. When Jesus speaks to me or to you, Jesse, or any other Jesse, He's speaking to someone with the potential to impact other people in incredible ways. Is this not the entire basis for living in community? So that we live together, relying on each other's strengths, learning from each other, allowing ourselves to be built up by one another. Now there's a flip side to this too. Because if I have the potential to partner with Jesus and act out life-affirming needs, if I can speak truth and life into people around me, I also have the potential to reject Jesus and bring about terrible and destructive things. I hold these thoughts in tension. That I have the potential and capacity for love, for courage, and all that's good. I also have the potential to bring about evil, destruction, and suffering. In fact, Bringing out destruction is probably more likely. I don't have to think long to consider the harm that I've caused the people I love. And it doesn't take much reflection of history to see that the tendency of humans is to inflict suffering, is to inflict harm and destruction on one another. But, and there's a big but, I'm not condemned to live out evil. How much the better when I'm able to live out the message of Jesus, the message that he's spoken to me personally to live out in my life. It's the message that he's spoken, Jesse, to you again, to everybody here, to live out personally in your own life. I truly believe that he's empowered you to live out the message that he wrote for you. That's the message of the gospel. It's the good news. It's the message that's meant for right now. It's for you to be lived out by you. See, it's the Word of God, it's animated through you and me. Through the teachings of Jesus, I believe that we become the living and acted out Word of God. Look, I'm not young anymore, I've, I've had a bit of this journey, I've felt out a lot, and I'm still going to drop it all. But I'm stuck with this quote from a pastor I used to listen to years ago, and if you know me, you're going to roll your eyes. Said it a lot. Uh, Bruxy Cavey was a pastor in Oakville, Ontario. But he would say, hey, if I'm going to stumble, I want to stumble forward. I feel that Jesus has released me from getting perfect. But I believe he wants me, he wants us, to continue to run the race, to take up the responsibility of life, to try fall, try again. To always move forward the truth. Because when I read the Bible, I see something woven through the teachings of Jesus. I believe there's a, a consistent message there. First off, Jesus is speaking to me. I believe Jesus is speaking to each of us individually. It's at the same time. Is that good? He can do that. I heard this guy talking, I forget who he was, but he was talking about the words of Jesus and the truth that's in there. He said that. The words of Jesus hold an infinite amount of truth because you can't get to the bottom of them. They keep giving. Everyone gets something out of it. It's different. 
It's something beautiful. It's intrinsic. It's part of scripture. It's like when you read a book, but years apart. You've never done this. You catch different things. The gospel's like that, but it's deeper and it's better. The second thing is Jesus believes that I am able to do the things that he asks. I believe Jesus has faith in me. Now third, I think, I think Jesus is telling me that I make an impact on those around me because that's how I do I can't help this. There's no avoiding this. I am inextricably linked to the people around me. I use the source for that. And so are you inextricably linked to the people around you. What that means is that I matter. What I do matters. When I follow Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is released in my relationships. Lastly, I really have no idea what my potential could be. Well, for that, just keep your mind open to that. It's meant to, to start your imagination. I get excited about thinking about the limitless possibilities of what could happen when I partner with Jesus. But after all, who am I to limit what I think God is able to do with me? Now from all this, I think, well, I hope that you can take away that you are designed by God to be impactful in what you do matters. And why the gospel? Because it was made for you. And if you agree or disagree with anything I've said, this is an open conversation. I hope that you are able to ask your own questions about this. But hey, thanks very much for listening. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.